Hello, everyone. This is Mark Iskowitz, executive editor at MMM, and welcome to this edition of the MMM podcast. My guest today is Lynn LaPierre, who runs the U.S. biopharma business for a global leadership advisory firm. And we're going to talk about the life sciences job market, the gender gap, as well as MMM's best places to work winners, which were just revealed this week. Thanks so much for being here, Lynn. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. And uh, we'll get her take on all those topics in a moment. Just a few housekeeping items. Uh, our Hall of Femme program, uh, uh, which is um, uh, now going on, just launched this Tuesday. Um, and you have uh, several weeks uh, to get your submissions in. Uh, so you can find out all the entry information online. And uh, MMM's holiday card uh, contest is also nearing the end. Uh, you have until Friday on that. Uh, so the deadline is nearing. So get your submissions in uh, for holiday card. Um, okay, so let's get to uh, the questions uh, for Lynn here. Uh, just a caveat, um, again, she works for a global advisory, leadership advisory firm, and her views are her own. Uh, so Lynn, thanks again for being here. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, now, you have a really interesting background. You started off in, in neuropsychology, and then you, you moved into law, and then the pharma. Kind of take us through that. Yeah, absolutely. I think your career is a long and winding road. And I think the decisions you make in your early 20s before you really know what's going to light you up and make you happy, uh, I think, change over time. And that was the story for me. I uh, grew up um, with a father who was a physician and um, loved medicine and loved biology and thought it was fascinating um, and had thought I would get a PhD and be a neuropsychologist. Um, after doing some research uh, at Harvard medical school, I realized that being in a lab all day and studying a very small subset of a population for years probably wasn't the best use for me. Um, and I uh, had met a lot of people who said, oh, you should go to law school. You, um, you write well, you speak well, and you can be a lawyer in the industry. Uh, that's not a good reason to go to law school for the record, but I think a lot of people do do that. Um, and so that's what I did. And I um, was a litigator uh, in the industry and worked in-house for a while and just ultimately still had the same feeling that it was me in a room. Um, and instead of studying uh, patients' brain scans, I was now drafting documents. And I really missed the interpersonal connection with people, um, which ultimately brought me into strategy Consulting, uh, and then moving closer to uh, to the talent side and, and leadership services to my clients because I wanted it to be about the people and less mm -hmm. about uh, just the, the numbers or the strategy behind the products. Mm -hmm. So it really focuses on on leadership and, and recruiting and yes. boards. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Those, those main yes. areas. So think a lot about um, you know uh, the, the executive leadership and the boards of, of companies and how those are evolving in the industry. And and, and life sciences strictly. So we're talking. Uh, Big pharma and biotech. Right. So what we would call biopharma and also some pharma services as well, which are companies that obviously serve the pharmaceutical industry sure. in manufacturing or clinical trials. Okay, great. So I just wanted to start off with a few questions about the current job market. Um, through October, uh, according to um, stats from Challenger Grain Christmas, as quoted by uh, PharmaLot, uh, the number of pharma layoffs in the U.S. totaled 10,631, which is a 4.9% increase from the same period a year ago. Why is pharma laying off so many? Mm, interesting. I think there's massive change in the industry right now. Um, and I think uh, the 
business that existed in the mid-70s, early 80s, and even into the early 90s, um, particularly in large pharma around primary care businesses, um, relatively simple chemically-based oral therapies for hypertension and cholesterol and um, what we would consider more on the primary care side of the house. I think that has changed dramatically. I think uh, we look at major billion-dollar launches and how those launches were done in the industry, and and those, that model doesn't exist in the same way, um, which I think creates change in everything from the supply chain to how we manufacture products to what it takes to launch a product um, and what we're looking for in people in the industry. Mm-hmm. And the biggest shift that we see is around the science. Um, and so in the late 90s, um, you have the rise of the biotechnology company and the creation of, of biotech centers in Boston and in San Francisco. Um, and mm-hmm. that changes you know, the, 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 the kind of talent you need, right? A lot of focus on high science um, and, and on the type of products that are being produced and funded. Uh, and you see a shift more towards what we would call specialty pharmaceutical products. Those are that are prescribed not by a primary care physician, but rather by uh, a specialty physician. And even mm-hmm. more on the top is oncology, rare disease, orphan drug products um, sure. that are prescribed through injection. So it just changes the, the, the market a good bit. Right. So you think they're really um, the, 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 the layoffs reflect that market shift? Yeah, because I think extent. it changes yeah. the, what you need and everything from the drug developers and the scientific background yes. that you have yes. all the way through uh, the executive ranks and the, the route uh, up. Uh, has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. And also mm-hmm. companies have changed, right? So we see a lot of people who are leaving big pharma and searching and moving into the biotech area. These are mm-hmm. small companies, nascent mm-hmm. companies. They're viewed as nimble and fast moving. Uh, and it's a totally different, um, totally different model. Yeah, um, sure. So. Sure. Uh, so following on that, um, you know, pharma, uh, is continually moving around jobs as it makes acquisitions and sheds non-core assets, so to speak, um, and bulks up on people with skills in new technology, like like you're saying, you know, in these new areas of biotech, gene therapy, cell therapy, IO, immunotherapy, exactly. uh, so on and so forth, or commercialization, uh, people with commercialization skills, if they're likely right. enough to be in launch mode for a recently approved product. Uh, where do you see the next hires and fires? Mm. So I think we continue to shed in primary care. Um, I think vac- we see a lot of contraction in vaccines. Um, uh, unfortunately, not as much investment in women's health. Mm-hmm. Um, and that follows a little bit of the divestitures that have happened, right, in, in larger companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that, that people who are associated with those kinds of products, I think, will need to reinvent themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and move more towards uh, specialty pharma, oncology, rare disease, uh, gene therapy, cell therapy, as you've said. Sure. Um, uh, it's not so easy to make those changes, though. Right. Um, and getting into uh, primary care, you know, you just saw Novartis's big bet on the medicines company. Mm-hmm. They're getting into primary care in a biologic mm-hmm. kind of way, right? Right, so they're, which they're, is a little different, right, right. than an right. oral solid. Right, right. That's not a small molecule right. drug that they right. that they purchased the company for. Right, right. And, and yeah, and I think that I do think there is a nice story though. Now that you mentioned that of of companies that are thinking about 
global public health, right? And I think mm-hmm. that we increasingly have leaders of many of these these companies that are thinking about larger patient populations um, and and thinking about products that will help those, um, and so and still making some investments in certain areas and vaccines and certain areas in primary care, mm-hmm. um, places like. Um, like TB and HIV mm-hmm. and um, where there's there is unmet medical need. Right, right. So the cure versus the treatment. Uh, right, exactly, and- exactly. When you think about a, a like the Hep C products that can cure, mm-hmm. that changes the game. Right, right, yeah. Um, okay, uh, final question on the job market. You know, how do you see the layoff rate panning out during the final months of 2019? Asking you to put on your um, your uh, predictor's hat there for a minute. Um, I think I think that it's it's going to depend on what continues to happen. I think there feels like there's a lot of uncertain uncertainty right now, just in the world, right around the political climates. Mm-hmm. We sure. see a lot of destabilization in Latin America. We see Europe continuing to have economic challenges, and many of these companies are based in those places, mm-hmm. right? The multinationals, uh, particularly right, particularly in Europe. So, um, I I think that. Um, up till now, it has not yet affected the funding environment, right? So when you see venture capitalists having mm-hmm. less money to move around, particularly on the mm-hmm. biotech side, uh, I think that will be the indicator for when we might see more shedding. But in terms of, of the big numbers and the big multinationals, I think uh, as we continue to see political changes around Brexit, around the U.S. elections, I think there could still be some to come uh, as we get closer and closer to some of those big political decisions. Okay. Okay. Uh, so let's shift gears and talk a little bit about uh, MMM's October salary survey. Great. I'm holding the magazine up here. You can't see that at home, but um, the uh, survey found that life science and healthcare marketing salaries were up. That's good news. Uh, But the uh, salary gap between men's and women's pay is widening, unfortunately. Uh, The gender gap topic um, can elicit mixed responses among recruiters. After all, it's their job to find the best candidates for their agency or pharma clients, and data showing a gender gap is kind of a turnoff for prospective candidates. Uh, nor does the existence of said gap reflect well in terms of recruiters' ability to garner equitable salaries. Um, so I know, Lynn, you focus on f- biopharma, not necessarily yes. agencies, but this survey encompassed both. Okay. Um, so I wanted to just ask you, have you seen this playing out among uh, clients where they offer s- salaries that aren't equitable? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think what's what we're seeing is changes in the law, right? That mm-hmm. that attempt to manage this a little bit, um, whereas where we are not allowed to say how much money are you making in your current role, um, mm-hmm. and we then we then do not pass that information on to a client. So mm-hmm. uh, this is really mm-hmm. relevant because. When you base salary a new salary off of an old sal- salary, you're just mm-hmm. perpetuating the problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so it becomes much more about what a company is willing to pay for talent um, and what the market demands as opposed to what you were making before. Because otherwise you have people who say, we're going to take what you made before and put a premium on it, 10%, 15%. And uh-huh. that's how we're going to do the calculation. Which can perpetuate the, the problem. Exactly. Exactly. Right, right. So I think there have been some changes in the laws um, in many states in the U.S. Uh, and um, that 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 changed that. Uh, sure. New York State is one of them. Um, mm-hmm. So that so that I think is the first thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we absolutely do see that. I think that part of what what needs to happen in the dialogue is encouraging 
um, our clients to to think about profiles in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and very often when you think of uh, particularly senior hires, they've had a, a, a route to the top that um, traditionally can favor male candidates, right? It's, it requires a, lo- a tremendous amount of time on the road, uh, potentially a lot of global relocation, mm-hmm. um, and things that make it hard uh, to do those things, you know, depending on what's going on in, in your life, whether it's you have a family, you have aging parents, sure. whatever your issue is, and, and that tends to fall more often on women. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a generalization, but that is something we okay. see. So yeah. the conversation that we're having is uh, there's a lot of dynamics that are playing out. I think this next generation of, of workers are, are more focused on balance in their life. It's not about working less, but it's about having time for all the facets of their life that they mm-hmm. want mm-hmm. um and you know and also just trying to think about uh what does a family look like if it is a family-based issue you more often have two working parents and you can't count on having a partner uh for a man or a woman who's behind the scenes taking care of everything while that other person just thinks about work mm-hmm. um Right. So, so the career path to the top you've seen often kind of favors the male candidates. But have you seen outright, you know, companies actually having different different pay scales for men versus women? No, no, okay. I, I haven't seen that personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think more what you what you have is profiles of of what you want in a candidate that is easier to mm-hmm. find uh, male candidates because they sure. they fit that that long hone profile. Sure. Um, so we're often having conversations to encourage a, a, a different kind of upbringing in their career and accepting people who have taken a break or people who have not taken that international assignment or people have not even simple things. If you haven't been in a sales role, which required you being on the road all the time, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, does that make you less valuable when actually in the industry we're not detailing doctors on the road the way that we used to? It's a much more digital play. So there's a lot that's changing that changes Mm -hmm. the talent. Yeah. And uh, other than not uh, asking candidates for their existing salary, which is, uh, you know, uh, would, would violate the current laws, uh, what else uh, can, can recruiters do to address uh, this, this gender gap? Um, I think that, you know, it is, again, encouraging a different kind of profile where, you know, at the board level, when you very often we hear people say, I want a former CEO or a sitting CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a conversation which says, you know, would a would a president work well? Could you have a general mm-hmm. counsel in the role? Could you have a CFO? Um, very often on the, on the at the functional level, you have more diversity. I mean, it's not just about male or female, but it's about, you know, you know, religious diversity, LGBTQ, um, uh, race, all of those things, mm-hmm. you tend to see a little bit uh, better diversity at the functional level. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, has that been a turnoff for prospective candidates? And how do you handle those conversations, you know, about gender gap, you know, when you're talking to prospective uh, candidates? Yeah, I have candidates say to me all the time, you know, we talked about this company, and I looked on the website, and I didn't see anybody that looked like me. Um, Mm. And so I am am in the business of of providing fair feedback to clients to Mm. say, Look, this is a this is a challenge, and people are looking and caring yeah. and talking about it. Um, and you need to make a change. And in order to do that, you may have to think about things differently. And and the natural tendencies of of cohorts of people people are, are very often attracted to people that look just like themselves mm-hmm. in terms of how they were raised or where sure. they're from. Um, and we need to have help people break out of that and understand that they are repeating that pattern. 
Right, right. Okay. Very interesting. Uh, let's talk about a related topic, female board representation. Um, I know that's something that's near and dear for you. Mm -hmm. uh, life science boards have been light on women, but there have been efforts to turn this around. At the HLTH conference in, in October, which I was at, maybe you were at as well, uh, for instance, there were workshops for women in securing board posts, uh, and there was an organization actually asking firms to take a pledge to consider mm -hmm. uh, female candidates in their board searches. Uh, have you been encouraged by, by these kinds of efforts? I am. I am encouraged. But again, it, it requires uh, a change in mindset of our clients and of other board members. Um, and to be open to a conversation of, do you really need another sitting CEO or former CEO? Are they going to bring what you need to this board right now? Um, mm -hmm. or, or can we think about what other people can bring? And also just understanding that if you're not coming from that post and you're coming from a different part of the organization, it doesn't mean that you've just been so siloed, right, depending on the company. So I think the view is, uh, you know, for general counsels, very often they say, I can go buy a lawyer. I don't need one on my board, right? But mm -hmm. a great general counsel has been in every board meeting, has been in mm -hmm. every M&A discussion, mm -hmm. and sees a lot more than one would think. Let's mm -hmm. um, not give lawyers short shrift. Right, exactly. And now obviously a, a little well. self-interested here. But I, but I think it is a place where you look at the executive teams, you see more female general counsels than we used to. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. that is a place um, that you you can get more women into the boardroom who have been yeah. at that executive level and have a lot yeah. to offer. Yeah. Um, I think the same can be true for drug development and medical affairs as well. Um, I also wanted to ask you, how is the situation in life sciences now in terms of female board representation? Do you have a, can you quantify it? Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think that it is uh, better, but still not great. Um, I think that we are starting to see real progress in our emerging clients. Um, in our, you know, when you look at the big global multinationals, I think that that board situation is different. You are starting to see there's more pressure on them to show diversity, and I think that they they have to, to some degree, although not nearly, you know, with equal representation, but you start to see one or two women on those boards. Mm -hmm. um, in our emerging uh, clients, meaning those who are pre-commercial or maybe newly commercial, I think it's a bit better. Uh, but every time that we are looking for a, you know, uh, a women, female audit chairs or female, female chairman, it's a very small pool. Hmm. Um, it's more than it used to be, but it's still not enough. Wow. So I yeah. would say we have a long way to go. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's shift gears once again and talk about another MMNM feature, um, Best Places to Work, uh, which is uh, the winners were revealed today. Uh, it's our second annual program in which we ask employees to rate which agencies uh, they feel are the best to work for. Um, and uh, you can check out the winners uh, on our website. They were just revealed on Wednesday. And um, again, I know, Lynn, you work exclusively with life science firms, biopharma firms, not necessarily with agencies, but I just thought I'd ask you about some of the key themes that sure. arose here and see if you're seeing that amongst uh, yeah. clients and, and people you work with. One key theme that the employees expressed as being important to them was diversity and inclusion. I know we, we, we touched on that. Um, in your experience, you know, we know that, that that people looking for jobs, like you said, want to see people like them at the companies that they aspire to work for. Are you seeing that reflected uh, amongst the employers? Are they actually making a concerted effort on DNI? Yes, absolutely. I think that they really are. Whether they are doing it in the in the best way, right? I think you you see more diversity than you do efforts towards inclusion, and I think that is sometimes where the challenge is. So it is very mm -hmm. easy to. 
uh, you know, to look at a slate and to have a diverse slate and, and, but it's another thing to actually make that person feel welcome and successful um, when when inclusion is challenging because the organization isn't very far down the track and having people who uh, who look like them or or have you know similar challenges in their lifestyle or whatever mm-hmm. the question is um, so I think that uh, I think that we are seeing a lot more attention to that we're seeing a lot more training on DNI in a lot of our clients um, mm-hmm. and I think that the shift towards let's not talk about uh, what makes me diverse. Let's not talk about uh, you know the fact gender or race or disability um, or you know let's not talk about those things. Let's talk about being able to bring your whole self to work, right? Mm-hmm. And to being able to talk about uh, what's important to you in your life and how you live your life and what your community is and have that be something people accept and, and embrace as opposed to feeling that you can't be uh, as outspoken about it. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's, you know, really um, sad when you hear the stories about, you know, code switching, you know, amongst mm-hmm. people, you know, they can't really bring their full selves to work, other other cases, um, and uh, just makes good good you know sense on a human level and a business level as well yeah. uh, for those inclusion efforts to to take to take root so um, another question in, in this area um, or another connecting thread excuse me amongst the winners was uh, work-life balance you know no, yeah. no surprise there but uh, two of the winning agencies were actually virtual offices uh, yeah. which was uh, an interesting uh, new development so what what kinds of perks are, are, are you seeing people ask for you know in your conversations yeah I think mobile workforce is a huge thing um, mm-hmm. and I I think particularly in the pharmaceutical industry where we see uh, the center of gravity having really shifted from New Jersey, Pennsylvania, a lot of people going up to Boston but not necessarily wanting to move their families or same for San Francisco. I think the you know the the large pharma campus idea right mm-hmm. where you had that a massive piece of land with everything on it and daycare and cafeterias mm-hmm. and dry cleaners and and the idea was you could come to work and never leave and mm-hmm. get everything you needed in that place. Um, I think that it's it's challenging to attract a workforce to those areas. We see mm-hmm. a lot more success for companies that have a presence in an urban area. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. we see people who say I only want to come out uh, of the city, whatever city that is, you know, a day or two a week, or I only want to come into the office a day or two a week, um, mm-hmm. and the rest of yeah. the time I'd like to work remotely. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a huge shift. So telecommuting people. is a big is a it's big, a big one. one. Yeah, and location. Yeah. Right, right. Um, and, uh, you know, other work-life balance perks that you're seeing? I think we're seeing a really interesting one around companies granting sabbaticals. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, particularly there's a lot of discussion about purpose, right? And you see uh, in biopharma, we all believe that we are making patients' lives better. And you see people coming to the table saying, well, then I want to go do that assignment, you know, in a third world country for three months and, mm-hmm. and help, um, you know, be a medic in a hospital or whatever the situation is. And sure. companies saying, we'll let you go do that mm-hmm. um, and come back, you know, after some period of time. So right, I think that's right. a, a fascinating idea. Yeah, we saw that amongst the agencies too, believe it or not. Oh, Interesting. Offer sabbaticals after say five years mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and unlimited vacation time, mm-hmm. and uh, which which gets me to our last question. You know, it's it's uh, it's always interesting to see what new interesting benefits uh, the employees are offering. One of our winners, in fact, offers to pay employees not to use email. Which I thought was interesting. Oh, uh, wow. What what are some of the kind of new maybe quirky you know benefits that you're seeing come on the scene? 
Uh, interesting. So um, I do think there's a lot of discussion of, you know, having blackout hours for email since you mentioned uh-huh. it, right? Uh-huh. Where um, we don't send internal emails, you know, after 7 p.m. or we don't send internal emails on the weekend. Um, uh-huh. And uh, and I, I think there's more respect for time um, sure. because I think particularly for those in international businesses, it runs, the times run all day and night, right? Because mm-hmm. of the global economy. Right. Um, so I think that is one. Uh, I think that... Um, you know, rotation, rotational programs uh, in terms of moving people across different functions um, Mm -hmm. and the ability to do that and also different geographies of letting people go work in an office in Australia or in Europe um, and and bring those learnings back to the home office, whatever that is, I think is another great perk for people. Um, And I think also letting people engage in, uh, in community service and philanthropy of their choice um, during the traditional work hour and, mm. and and having that be something that you get kind of quote-unquote credit for um, mm-hmm. is another thing we're seeing an increased move towards under this idea that your work should have purpose. Sure, sure. Great. Well, that's a nice uh, note to end on. Uh, I want to thank you so much for coming in again today, Lynn. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Absolutely. This was fascinating. Uh, we're going to leave it there. Um, if you like this podcast, uh, please like us uh, on uh, your podcasting platform of choice. Uh, leave a comment, help others discover the show. Um, and uh, that's it again for today. Um, this has been Marcus Gowitz, and we'll see you next time on the MMM podcast. Mm-hmm.